0: It's a blessing to open God's Word with you all this morning. It's great to see see a few familiar faces again. Uh, Let's pray as we come to this farm. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to a time of opening, understanding, and applying your Holy Word, would you convict us afresh of your saving Gospel, and what it means for us as your people, and for each of us here this morning show us christ and help us to respond to him today it's in jesus name we pray amen john and jane are your average church-going family on sunday morning they wake up they hit the snooze button a couple times uh, then they rush a bit of brekkie in uh, they get out of the house at 9 25 and into the car for church they bust through the entrance it's about quarter to ten at this moment They're thankful they missed the fast opening songs. They have to sit through some notices, hoping they weren't spotted by anyone as they came in late. Uh, Then another bunch of songs might come up. Is it gonna be the song that we sing way too much? Is the pianist gonna stuff up? How many repeats is the band gonna do? How many wrong lyrics are gonna be there on the string? Then it's time for the sermon. John, he hits the snooze. Jane waits for the lame joke, uh, the illustration about the preacher's kids or that C.S. Lewis quote that comes in. John, he wakes up halfway, he complains about the rock hard seats, then he opens his phone and he pretends to open his Bible app. Jane opens the bulletin, they both think about what's for lunch. John, he looks at his watch, it's 10.24, 10.25. 10, 26. And at the end of the sermon, the preacher gives the challenge. Uh, the band comes up again. Someone wraps up the service. Is he going to pray? Is he not? Just end the service, please. When can we sit down and start talking? And then everyone rushes off to morning tea. It's time to talk about the sport, the weather, beat the line for the snacks and coffee, and think about what's next for lunch. And the service, at that point in time, and all that's happened, declaring the truths of God, expressing joy in God, listening to God's word, and being comforted and challenged by the gospel, it's all a long past distant memory. It's long gone in your rear view mirror. John and Jane's experience uh, might seem a little bit or very stereotype, but I'm sure all of us can identify with parts of their story where a gathering of God's people, a special, a sacred time, becomes just a dull chore, a mechanical ritual, something that we just do and we move on, a bland, a boring, non-eventful meeting. And as we have a look at Psalm 95 this morning, uh, this psalm is a song capturing the Sunday gathering. It's an invitation to worship God together. In fact, this psalm, it was used in early Jewish gatherings as a template for their time together. The early church used the psalm as a call and as a model for their gatherings and their times together. The Anglicans in their prayer book, a good Anglican would read Psalm 95 every day before their other readings as a reminder to delight and to listen to God. And even today, you look at how this service has run. we sing to God. We declare who God is, what he's done. We hear from God's Word and respond to his gospel challenge. It's pretty much what this psalm outlines. So today at CPE, uh, you're all beginning a short series looking at psalms. It's a great book collection to go through because undoubtedly you've all heard of this collection. You've all heard of psalms. They're probably the most famous book in the Bible, the most searched book on BibleGateway.com. And the Psalms, they express the everyday life for the person of God. You see, the Psalms include praise and prayer, thanksgiving and lament, loss and abandonment, soaring the greatest heights, but also living down in the pits. And as your series title suggests, Psalms are songs for life. But the Psalms, are also hard work. It's really easy to read a Psalm and just to move on. But I'm sure we all have unanswered questions that we rarely stop and think about. And reading, understanding, applying Psalms, it is hard work. But the payoff, I hope, is massive, you see. Because the Psalms, they are a critical, vital part of God's Word. You see, they witness to God's grand plan of salvation. They give us a glimpse into how God's people live together. And they point us, most importantly, to God. God who is the great creator Lord and the righteous yet merciful King. So now we're going to jump back into Psalm 95. And there's three things about the context that we need to know about. The first thing is, this psalm is not primarily about the individual. It's about us, the gathering of God's people. I think it's easy when we think about worship to think it's just a me thing, me and God. And we definitely should be devoting time by ourselves to spend delighting in God. But this Psalm here, it reminds us that we're also to delight in God together as the gathered people of God. And that places the need to worship God together, singing, praying together, learning together, and reminding each other of the gospel. And we all need to work at this in our western, me-driven society. Second thing, this psalm is also called a psalm of remembrance. Because you see, this psalm as we get into it, it looks back. It picks up Exodus 17, we'll see this in a moment. And then it looks forward too. It goes to Hebrews 3 and 4. It piggybacks of Psalm 95. You see, this psalm is a great example of the continuity of Scripture. One big story linking together. And it's also an example of Scripture teaching Scripture. You see, Psalm 95 teaches Exodus 17. And Hebrews 4 teaches Psalm 95. We see here, New Testament, Old Testament, and the Psalms working Together to challenge us today in the Gospel. And the third thing, this psalm was probably used in a Jewish festival. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And in this feast, people, uh, Israel, they remembered their time in the wilderness. They were doing slow burnouts in the desert sand for 40 years, if you read the first five books of the Bible. And this feast, it wasn't a party feast. There was no meat and lemon-lime bitters involved. It was just sober facts, sober memories, remembering a time of disobedience, not trusting God, and resulting in clueless circles around the desert. And as we look at this psalm, uh, there's two parts. It breaks up pretty easily. And we find here two things that don't usually go together. Worship and the Word. But some people, they get really upset when you put worship and the Word together. No, 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 they say. Worship is when I get connected with my emotions so we don't worry about truth. There's no need to think about God's Word. It's just more time we need to worship, to sing it out and to praise God when everyone has their hands up in the air, spontaneous, free, and truly spiritual, they say. But I think the psalm, it's trying to give people a picture of true worship, a real gathering of God's people, a complete picture of what it means to come before God's presence together. It puts worship and the word, hallelujahs, and hearing God's voice, celebration and challenge, song and scripture. This psalm, in summary, tells us how to worship God together. Verse 1 to 7 it talks about gathering to praise God and then verse 7 the second part to verse 11 gathering to hear and respond to God's voice of salvation so firstly gathering to praise God now I've heard some weird ways uh, to invite people to sing to God from some service leaders they've said things like come and join us as we enter God's presence this morning. I've been there, and we need to just sing it out and sing it out to bring in God's presence. Or another one, they've said, welcome to church. I actually don't want to be here this morning. I don't want to lead at all, but no one else wants to do it, so I guess we're here, so let's stand and sing. But there is no awkwardness here in this psalm. The psalmist invites people to gather in praise to God. It's a very ordered service, you'll see, with three calls to praise, verse 1, verse 2, and 6. It's spoken by a priest, or it's probably spoken by the people themselves, uh, speaking these words as they gather and calling each other to praise God. And then there's two reasons for praise, verse 3 to 5 and verse 7. And these are probably sung... Or spoken by choir as the people gathered to worship God together so let's have a look at verse 1 it says "O come let us sing to the Lord let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation let us come into his presence with Thanksgiving let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise here we find a picture of God's people approaching the temple in Jerusalem. It's a tone of joy, repeated in both verses, reflecting on God's saving the people back in the Exodus, and the people responding in joy, thanksgiving, and praise. Then we keep going, verse three to five, it's probably by the temple choir singing, for the Lord is a great God, and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Here are reasons to worship God. Celebrating God's greatness, we've sung these this morning. And it's a theme in Psalm 93 to 100. Because, we read here, because God is above all the fake, idle, made-up gods of the world. He controls the heights and the depths of the earth even the chaotic mystery of the sea, God owns, He made it, and the creation of land, humankind, it's all God's work. It's a description like Colossians, talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. These are all words of supremacy, Greatness, rule, and power. And here in Psalm 95, they're all given to God. All-powerful, all-knowing, the one and only true God. And the call to praise, it continues, as we read on in verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And here the picture is still praising God but it's moving from the outer courts of the temple to the inner courts of the temple. But here it's a picture of reverence, humility. It's prostrating before God. It's a sign of surrender, lowliness, accepting our place and acknowledging God's place. He's God and we're not. You see, praising God is a joyful thing, but it's also a reverent action because God He's holy, righteous, and pure. And we aren't any of those things without Jesus. And finally, verse 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. The choir sings reasons again to praise God. We're God's chosen people, his flock. He's our shepherd. You know, out of all the nations, tribes, and the people of the world, God, he chose Israel, he saved Israel, and God made his presence among Israel. And if you're a Christian this morning, if you follow Jesus this morning, God chose you. He saved you in Christ. He's your shepherd, he takes care of you. You're one of God's chosen people, and that's something to praise God for, the opportunity to have a right relationship with God made available freely, graciously, through Jesus and His work on the cross. And if you don't know God personally this morning, God does, He invites you to have this right relationship with Him, as one of His, one that God loves and takes care of. See, God saved you and it's through Jesus, and I'm sure Pastor Iggy or any of the leaders here would love to tell you more about this today. So that's the first part, God's people gathered to praise God. And now as we keep reading, there's a change in language. It moves to the second part, gathering to hear and respond to God's saving voice. I think this is the part that Western Christians struggle with the most because there's so many voices fighting for our attention, our phones, our computers, the news, Netflix, Facebook games, instant messaging, emails, ads on the bus, in the shopping center, on your TV, we hear from so many different things that we struggle to hear God's voice. We find it hard to pause and to listen to God, to sit under his word and reflect on his saving call on our lives. But in this gathering of God's people in Psalm 95, the preacher, he gets up. And he's got his word from God. And the preacher says from the end of verse 7, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, where your, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Meribah and Massa, These are places in Exodus 17, verse 7, if you want to have a look. Meribah means contending, disputing, arguing with God. And Massah means a place of testing in Hebrew. And these were places where God's people, whom God, they just saved, he just saved them from Egypt. Uh, they were contending and testing God. It's kind of like many of our sports stars today. They're just constantly whining and whinging if you read this. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? The psalmist continues in verse 10. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said... They are people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You see people, they associate places with memories. Uh, For me, Harvey Bay, that was when I caught my first big fish. Uh, Mapleton, uh, the youth campsite, was uh, where we ate out the whole kitchen in one youth camp weekend. Kichi Mudlow Island, it's the place where we walked around the island five times in a day. Uh, Macker's Warrigal Square was where I asked out my now wife Angela. It's a great excuse to eat fast food, Macker's. You see, for an Israelite, just saying the words Meribah and Massa, they all instantly knew. That's where we disobeyed God, that's where we tested God and argued with God and as a result, we spun our wheels around the wilderness for 40 years and a whole generation didn't make it into the promised land. They died in the desert. So the preachers point here, if you hear God's saving voice today, listen to him and respond by obeying and trusting God today. Don't do what they did in the desert, obey God today. You see, the Israelites, they were responding to God saving them in Egypt. But today, for us, God saved his people in an even greater way. The most ultimate way, through Jesus dying and rising again. You see, today God has saved us from sin into new life. And he wants each of us to turn to him, to trust Jesus for your salvation don't put it off. Don't ignore him. Don't wait till tomorrow. Turn, hear, trust, and live it out today. It's a pretty straightforward psalm. We've just gone through it, and now I just want to spend the rest of this morning teasing out how this psalm shapes us and our gatherings, our times together as God's people, but also what it means for each of us this morning. For quick comments. Sometimes we do things for not so great reasons. One of my good friends who's here this morning, uh, he took out a home loan and he picked St. George Bank with pretty ordinary to bad interest rates, but only because he liked the dragon logo of the bank. And sometimes when we gather, we give attention to God for also sub-par reasons too. We give attention to God because you need to fulfill your weekly ritual. You need to be seen at church because you had the butterflies in your tummy that God was calling you. Because you feel bad that you haven't given God attention this week so you can get your blessings in your life because your friends are doing it too and you do it too. Uh, Because you hedge your bets and there's a God and you want to appease him somehow. But this psalm clearly gives us the reasons to gather in worship verse 3 god's greatness his creator ruler and king and verse 7 god's intimate relationship with us god's work of salvation foreshadowed in exodus fulfilled in jesus on the cross paving a new way for us to come to god to be right with god and to be one of his flock you see worship is in response to God's greatness and His saving relationship with us. That's what should overarch our means and what each of us should be focusing on as we gather together. The songs, the prayers, the message, the giving, even the announcements and the spots, our conversations and our care for each other, all of these actions are in response to God's greatness, God's grace, and the gospel message that gives us hope of new life with Jesus. Second, worshipping God involves your whole being. The word worship I think is one of the most misused words in the church today. But really it's not about just music, it's a whole life orientation. It's towards God and giving God the greatest worth in our lives. And this involves your whole being, your head, your heart, and your hands. And we see this in the Psalms, singing, shouting, joy, bowing, kneeling, gathering together, moving in and in and in, truths showing God's worth. You see, worshipping God involves your whole being. All aspects of your life are affected, from what you know to how you feel and then what you do and in our corporate gatherings as we gather for church. It affects our singing, the sermon, the conversations before and after. You know, it's funny, the Pentecostal movement has somehow muddled up our thinking. On one side, uh, people, they tell me that I'm stoic, I'm emotionless, and that I'm not worshiping God properly because of that. Someone told me that once in my old church when I was leading music. Then on the other side, someone got up during a members meeting, again at my old church, and they said I was a Pentecostal just because I show a little bit of emotion and I smile a bit when I'm up front. You see, because of the extremes, we've pushed back so much in our gatherings. We feel like we have to sing stoically, no smiles, none of this hand-raising business, no smelling your next-door neighbor's B.O., but the psalms. They show the gathering of God's people, full of truth, full of emotion, and full of physical response. So as we gather, the gospel, God's greatness, this new way to relate with God won by Jesus, it hits our heads, what we know. It hits our hearts, how we feel, and then our hands, what we do. And when our actions are in response to the gospel, and we love those around us, We should be free to respond with noticeable exuberance, if that's who you are, or with a reserved front and an internal delight in the gospel, if that's who you are too. Worshiping God in our corporate gatherings and in your whole life, it involves your whole being. Thirdly, our worship gatherings actually center on hearing God's saving voice. I think we need to be clear on our definitions. Singing and music, they can be an act of worship, but Christian singing and music, it doesn't equal worship. And here in Psalm 95, this worship gathering, this corporate gathering to worship God, it centers not on the music bracket, but it centers on the message, hearing God's voice. It's the main course of the service. It's the central element of our time and the focus of our gatherings and that means a couple things we need to be attentive to God's word preached not relaxing not snoozing not on your phones not critiquing not wishing John Piper or your favorite speaker was preaching but listening to what God is saying asking how God is convicting you how he's challenging encouraging and rebuking you as the Spirit of God works in the saving work of Jesus into your life. Our gatherings center on hearing God's voice. And final comment, true worship results in obeying God's saving voice today. That's really the crux of this psalm. Listen to and obey God today. Every moment of our days, every time we gather, God's spirit is at work in us convicting us of Jesus, our need for him, and growing us into his image. And every time we meet, God is convicting each of you, even here this morning, some aspect of the gospel and challenging us to live for him. And when we leave this morning, or every Sunday morning, we should be really clear. God is convicting me to think, change, reflect, do something stop something, whatever it is. And God wants me to obey Him today, to live in response to the Gospel today, to align our lives with Jesus today, not tomorrow, not next year, but here and now, today. But like I said in the beginning, we approach our gatherings so unprepared. We see our time as bland, as ordinary, that we aren't seeking to hear from the almighty God himself. And we're not looking to obey his call in our lives. But this psalm stresses urgency. Hear God's voice today. You see, the wandering Israelites, they were saved by a mighty work. Then they disobeyed God. They whined and they whinged and they rejected God's voice. And they didn't enter their rest, the promised land. And for us today, the psalmist says, and the author of Hebrews says, we're also in the land between salvation and rest. We're between the cross and eternity. Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So don't make Israel's fatal mistake. Hear God. Listen to a saving voice and respond. Obey, trust Him today. Don't risk losing the rest, the eternal life that awaits you. Don't be found disobeying and ignoring God. But instead, listen to Him. Take heed of the God of the gospel, the author of our salvation, the one who secures and offers each of us new life with Jesus and obey him today. Delight in the gospel, grow more and more like Jesus. Let's pray as we finish off. Father God, thanks for the immense privilege we have of gathering in your presence. We know that you are the one who makes it possible through the work of Jesus. Father, help us not to take this for granted. Keep us reminded of the way you've made this gathering possible. And Lord, help us as we gather to have a right attitude towards you. Help our heads, our hearts, and hands to be ready to give you praise in our lives, whether that be in our gatherings or outside our gatherings as we live for you day by day. Father, make your presence very clear to each of us this morning. And please be convicting us to hear your voice, to listen to your will, and to obey your call in our lives. Most importantly, help us to respond to Jesus today. Help each of us to surrender our lives under his lordship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.